This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey y'all, this is Justin Mitchell from the Sun Herald in Biloxi, Mississippi. And this is Out Here in America. Every other week, we're talking to members of the LGBTQ community across the country about their lives. Today, we're talking to Kimberly Davis, a grandmother from rural Georgia, who until two years ago, had spent her entire life as Richard. I had always been someone's son, someone's husband, someone's father, someone's husband again. That was until Vicki, the love of Richard's life, died of breast cancer in 2016. And I just all of a sudden uh, realized that I really didn't have a clue who I really was. We sat down with Kimberly and her oldest son, Thomas, who lives here in Mississippi. The nuclear medicine technologist has been chronicling her transition in a new book called Becoming Kimberly. It's a powerful look at the trans community here in the South, but the book's biggest surprise might not be how much Kimberly's life has changed over these past two years, but how much it hasn't. I get more support than you might imagine in a backwoods, Bible Belt, redneck community. It's been amazing. Stick around for lots more on Out Here in America. I'm living less than five miles from the house I was raised in. And uh, the community I live in is kind of close-knit. Everybody knows everybody. We all go to the same church. Uh, I understand that I'm not welcome back at our church anymore. <laughs> but that's, that's all right. Uh, wow. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about it? Yeah, it's uh, a very small town. I live in Brinson. Well, I get my mail from Brinson, but it's maybe 500 people. There was a few people in our community over the years that came out as gay. And of course, they were pretty much shunned. Um, so far, I've not had that reaction. The only comment I've heard that was negative was a friend and I went to lunch a few weeks ago, and she said that because my parents gave me the name Kimberly, that they predisposed me for this. And I'm like, no, it didn't have anything to do with what they named me. It had to do with what genetics I was born with, with the wiring that was put into me when I was conceived and came together. And no matter what they had named me, this is still who I am. So you were named Kimberly? Yes, I was given that name at birth. So tell me about growing up as a youngster there in that town. I had childhood friends, I guess we all do. Um, I never felt like I fit in quite as well as some of the rest of them did, but we, we all grew up together and I, I mean, I did all the same things that any normal American redneck boy would do growing up. We played combat and tag and again, this goes back to my very earliest memory. And I always preferred to wear girls' clothes, and it finally registered on me that this is something I couldn't do in public. It's something that I, I had to keep private and had to keep secret. And every time Mom would catch me, she would give me that reproving look, you know, as she'd take the clothes away, and I'd learn to be a little more careful about hiding them. I never successfully hid anything from them for any length of time. Sometimes I, I would get away with it for months and even years, and then they would find my little stash, and we'd get that reproving look. We never talked about it. It never became a topic of conversation. And in 1960, 
three and four and five growing up, the term transgender was not in society. Transvestite was. But no one referred to transgender. And at that time, I think the only one that was really out was Christine Jorgensen. My dad was very smart. He did a lot of reading and studying, and I'm sure he tried to do as much research as he could to try to figure out who I was. And the best he could come up with was that I was gay. So when I finally got married and started having sex with a woman, he was god awfully relieved. <laughs> we had just gotten home from my honeymoon, and uh, we were living in an apartment behind mom and dad's house. My wife was walking across the driveway, and dad stopped her and thanked her for making a man out of me. Really? How did your wife take that? She came in, what the hell was that all about? <laughs> I didn't even try to explain it to her. She found out sometime later she caught me and accused me of running around on her. And I had to, of course, fess up to the truth. And I'm like, no, I didn't. Probably would have been better if I'd have told her, yeah, I was, I was running around on you. But she didn't take it any better. Mom and Dad did, and she didn't deal with it any better. And eventually that led to her and I parting ways after the kids were born, of course. Were you ever scared growing up of what life would be like for you where you lived if you did come out? Yeah, I, yes I was. And I even talked about it uh, when I was 18 years old, mom and dad decided that I needed to go see a psychiatrist. After telling him my story and answering his questions, he said, you're a transvestite. He said, you have two choices. He said, you can either move to Miami, New York, New Orleans, and, and live that life or you can suppress it. He said, there's a price for suppressing it. He said, if you suppress it, you're gonna deal with chronic depression for the rest of your life. He told me, he said, if, you're, uh, if you choose to suppress your urges, he said, you will end up, there's a 70% chance that you'll end up at some point committing suicide, or at least attempting suicide. That never happened. I was fortunate enough that I was solidly based enough that I didn't have that issue. I did deal with the chronic depression. He was absolutely right about that but I never wanted to end my life. I enjoyed life too much. So you were 18, mm -hmm. you were living in Georgia, and your parents knew that you had these feelings. Mm -hmm. And a medical doctor just told you to get out, to leave, to mm -hmm. be yourself, but you did it. No, as scared as I was of coming out, um, I was even more scared of uprooting myself from my familiar surroundings and leaving my home. It's where I grew up, and I had no idea how I would survive in a city. I just couldn't see myself doing that, making that kind of decision at that time. So I buckled down and decided to do the best job I could at pretending to be a guy. And that's what I did for the next, what, 45, 50 years. I just can't even fathom. It's just... Oh. I read a, a book by the punk rocker, I think it, uh, Laura Jean Grace, and she's trans. She mentioned binges and purges. Over the years, I would collect clothes for my true gender. And then something would happen and I'd either get caught or I'd almost get caught and I'd decide, well, I got to suppress this and I would purge it. I would go burn them, you know, or destroy them. That binge and purge thing was cyclical and I did that many, many cycles over the last 40 years because I thought for a while I was going to have to be Richard at work and I was Kimberly at home. Well, actually, I was Kimberly as soon as I got in the car. <laughs> I already had long hair then. The scrunchie had come off, and I'd put my bra on, and I kept my prosthetics in a bag in the car, and I'd stick them in, and, hey, I'm, I'm a female going home. Um, 
because I did not want to wear his clothes any longer than I absolutely had to at that point because at that point I knew I was female in my heart and I knew I had to be female as, as nearly as I could be all the way through. So now I don't have to anymore. Now I don't have to burn all my pretty clothes and I'm so grateful. <laughs> it's so nice not to have to burn my clothes. I spent so much time and so many resources collecting and um, so much risk in those days. You walk into Walmart or JCPenney's or Sears and you start going through the women's clothing rack and you don't look like I do now that I've had my surgery. You, you look like Thomas does or like you do. And you get strange looks from the sales ladies like, what the hell are you doing over here? I actually have had that question asked me. <laughs> <laughs> And it's all been a part of my life. It's all been things that I have hidden for many, many years, and thankfully I don't have to anymore. And Thomas, you live in Mississippi. Yes, sir. In Jackson. Yeah, Bill Puckett, Mississippi. In I don't Puckett. know if I claim oh, Jackson. Puckett. How big is that? Oh, uh, well, the little sign claims there's only 300 people there, but, you know, it's just a little small. Like, I live uh, between Puckett and Johns. I'm actually in Rankin County. I claim Puckett. What was it like growing up with your dad in Georgia? Well, my mind of a pretty normal childhood, uh, you know, just three kids, we ran wild in the woods and we fished and went to school and, we, you know, we moved at one point to Climax and while we were over there, we learned to work on cars and learned to finish concrete and, you know, there was nothing that we could see that would say that she was transgender. So, I mean, it was a very normalized experience. I mean, it sounds like she taught you a lot about being a man. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and, you know, when, when, it, when, when she came out to me, just everything clicked into place. I feel like after maybe I was 17 or 18 that I already knew, I just hadn't put a name to it. It was like there was, there was small little signs there that, that made sense. And, and, and when she came out to me, and, and it all clicked into place. I realized what a sacrifice had been made for me to have that normalized childhood. I can't imagine going through life every day having to pretend to be someone else. I just refused to do it. I wouldn't do it. If you can't, uh, you know, grow up and be who you're supposed to be and, and, and not have to pretend, I, I, don't, I don't know. It's, that's not freedom in my mind. Do you ever look back and regret not leaving when you had the chance? <sighs> yes, I do. I wish I had been braver. Uh, everyone said when I came out, oh, you're so courageous. I'm like, no, if I was courageous, I'd have done this 40 years ago. But uh, yeah, I wish I'd have been braver. I wish I had taken that chance when I was 18, 19 years old and, and, and moved into that lifestyle. No one can possibly predict what would have happened to me during those. I might have ended up dead or I might have, might have ended up totally okay. You never know. And that was also 40 years ago, you know? So yes. Who knows? Yes. It was a different world. I mean, you stop and think. Uh, Lou Rawls saying this, take a walk on the wild side. And it is a lot about transgenderism. Uh, Holly came from Miami, FLA. And, uh, hitchhiked away across the USA. She actually did. Her name was Holly Woodlong. She passed away not long ago. That's where he got those lyrics for that song. It was what she kept telling everybody. I hitchhiked my way across the USA. I plucked my eyebrows on the way, shaved my legs, and I was a she. She says, hey, babe, 
Take a walk on the wild side and the and, colored uh, girls go. She ended up spending much of her time at the Apollo and, and was uh, did quite well for herself, along with all the rest of the people in, in Lou's song. <laughs> yeah, I wish I'd have had that kind of courage back in 1971 and 72. It would have been a different world for me. Of course, I wouldn't have had him. Of course, I'm glad that she didn't decide to zoom off to California. <laughs> I'm appreciative of that. <laughs> You're here. Yeah. <laughs> this existence is definitely a positive. How many boys do you have? I have three, three sons. How was it raising them? I was never the best father in the world. I tried. Uh, it, was a, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of fun. It was a little heartache sometimes, but they have earned my undying respect. I'm so proud of my children and how they have turned out. You always hope that your children will turn out better than you did. You always hope that they'll turn out healthy and happy and, and have good jobs and work hard and do life better than you did. Uh, I'm not sure about that, but, but they have done okay. They're not in jail. <laughs> <laughs> Do they enjoy doing all the same things you did when you were a kid? Oh yeah, absolutely. We had a lot of fun. We worked hard together during the summer when I was working construction. I would take my boys with me and they learned hard work very early on. But we played hard too. On Saturdays and Sundays when we didn't have to work, we spent a lot of time hunting and fishing and playing and just living a good life. And we were all a bunch of really, really rowdy kids. So. <laughs> How much stuff we put them through, Lord mercy. <laughs> when I was a kid, I used to love the dirt. And my mom, we'd go to the mall and she'd buy me new clothes every week. And we'd take professional pictures and we'd go, I'd go with my cousins, I'd get dirty. And she would spank me because she got so mad. And she told me later, like a lot of her brothers and sisters would always say, oh, you're going to make your kid gay. And I think when I came out, a lot of that probably weighed heavily on her mind. Mm -hmm. And I just think, no, that's not, has nothing to do with that. You know, I liked getting dirty. You didn't like me getting dirty. Yeah, so. of course. It's a fun thing. I like being clean, too. Times were hard, and I had to teach myself to be an automobile mechanic in order to maintain my vehicles because I couldn't afford to hire one. And in some ways, I enjoyed mechanicing. You know, it was a challenge to work on my vehicles and try to keep them going. But God, I hated skinning up my knuckles and getting grease all over my hands and bleeding everywhere. And I, now I won't even change my oil. I still call her when I, I need some advice on my car. You know, I have no problem in that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know, my, my I need wife, to start calling her for advice on my car too because I'm clueless. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, she. You know, I see Richard over there, a person who's always come to ask for advice, but it's the same person. You know, only now she's free, she's happy. She's who she, she's always meant to be. I mean, who she should have been from the very beginning if society had allowed her to be. What made you finally decide to tell everyone, this is who I am? Uh, it was Vicky dying, leaving me in a vacuum. I just, what am I going to do now? I mean, like, uh, that was when I started digging back into my, my past and starting to realize that I had to go find out who I was. And I started digging and doing the research, and it finally dawned on me that in order for me to be true to myself, this is what I had to do. Coming out was easy. The decision, I took my time about it because I've always been warned not to make life-altering decisions on the basis of, of a major trauma. Well, losing a loved one is a major trauma, trust me. And so I was very careful about making my decision to become female and to enter transition. Um, 
But for me, the hardest part about coming out was telling my boys. And uh, that was something that I did not handle very well at all. I did really good with Thomas, the oldest one. I called him on the phone and I said, okay, I, I said, here's what's happening. I said, I'm a transgender female. I'm, I'm entering transition. I've already started taking uh, hormones over the counter. And I said, I am in the process of, of transforming myself into a female. And you, you, his response was, made me cry. Um, Dad, I love you. I support you. Whatever you need to do for yourself, you, I got your back. Do you think your mom has in any way helped shape your feelings towards the LGBT community? Which one? <laughs> well, sorry, I was... I was a little bit, I guess, more progressive about the idea. And like I said, me and, me and my brothers had over the years sort of joked about it. So when, he came out, when she came out to me, I, I, was, uh, I wasn't as surprised, I guess, as my brothers. I just... Yeah. I was I was happy, and I had to mull it over for a little while on how I'd explain that to to my wife, who's a little bit more conservative, and and my kids, who had pretty much known her as Richard for for their whole lives. Those were my concerns: was how to properly address that to them so that they understood what was going on. How old were your kids? Oh, uh, it was nine and eleven. You know, they haven't been really programmed by society on what things should be and shouldn't be, so. And that's a beautiful thing about kids, right? They can understand things differently and be totally open to it. You have to be taught to hate. You know, we are born from day one, we know how to love, but you have to be taught to hate. I called my youngest son on the phone uh, a few weeks later. I told him, he said, well, I'm not sure I understand it, but he said, whatever, you whatever it takes to make you happy, I love you and I you'll always be my dad. And I said, well, that's fine. And uh, last fall, when we had a hurricane that hit Daytona, he evacuated and moved up here with his son for the duration of the storm. And a couple of times, Robbie slipped up and called me grandmama. I was so happy. <laughs> it made my day. <laughs> he would come back and say, oh, I mean grandpa. So, honey, it's okay. Whatever you want to call me is fine. But uh, the middle son, I had, a, I had a problem with him. I didn't handle him very well. I tried to talk to Philip, and <laughs> his girlfriend was religious, and I tried to talk to both of them, and their response was, you know, are you gay? And I'm like, well, no, I don't think so. But does it matter if I am? I mean, does it really? We were at that time, he was still in some legal trouble in Daytona, so we were driving back and forth once a month to go to court down there. I finally decided, I said, I'm tired of wearing his clothes. So I put on my clothes and I went and picked him up. And 13 hours in that car, he didn't say five sentences to me all the way down there, all the way back. And we get home and I got out of the car and got my purse and his stepdaughter ran, ran out and hugged me. Well, she obviously noticed that I was wearing different clothes and wearing and had breasts. So when she went back inside, Aaliyah started asking some questions, and, and Mom and Dad were not prepared to answer them. Mm -hmm. So I get a nasty email from Phil that well, I, he tells me how embarrassed he was to be seen with me in public all day. And then I responded, I said, embarrassed? How embarrassed do you think I was to be sitting in a courtroom full of drug dealers and murderers and thieves with you? Uh, and he's been on board ever since. They have actually lost friends because they made ugly comments about me. It's shocking in the community I live in for that many rednecks to come out and say, you know, hey, what you're doing is fine. And I, I'm, I'm just overwhelmed by their generosity. Sometimes people just don't give 
small town people credit when credit's due. These people are far more open-minded than they've ever been given credit for. Because if they can look at me and accept me, then they can look at anyone and accept anyone. And, and, and you know, that's, the, that's just the crazy thing about the world we live in. And we've, we've made so much progress, but <laughs> we've got this whole base of people who think that you're just choosing to be homosexual. Doesn't that just blow your mind? It just, it really does. This is still happening every day. People are still trying to change the people they love to be what they see them as. That's what I've told people in my life, you know? I mean, could you stop being heterosexual tomorrow? Could you just choose to be homosexual? And the answer to that question is no. Mm -hmm. I would ask them how much they like people telling them how to live and if they would be okay if someone stepped in and said, hey, you couldn't wear pants no more. I, you know, that, that amount of control over someone else's life is crazy to me. And that's what hit me when, when she told me, wow, 40 years of being something totally different from what you, you felt like you were. Yeah. You know, I feel like had she been Kimberly when I was a kid, I still would have had the same experiences. I may have missed on small things, but... It just, it, it boggles my mind that, that that even had to occur. It sounds like in those hidden years that it, it must have been really lonely. It was extremely lonely. Um, even when I was married to Vicki, the love of my life, it was still lonely sometimes. I had her for company and companionship, but there was a part of me that was still very much private and very much alone and desperately wanted to get love and get a hug and get some attention and get some, some kudos for being who I am. And I get that now. I don't want to say it's worth all the pain, but it, it sure does make up for a lot. Tell us about your book. When I realized that I was going to enter transition, it kind of started out as me trying to organize my thoughts and, and my feelings and, and what I was trying to accomplish. Actually, I was into chapter two before I realized I can't just keep meandering along. I've got to go back and start organizing it like a book. If I'm going to write a book, I need to you know, spend some time and do a little organizing and make sure that it's coherent. And so that's what I did. I had to back up and, and kind of rewrite some things and condense some things and add some things to it and, and start separating it out into chapters. And then I started having to come up with chapter titles. And coming up with the chapter titles for the book was the most fun part of writing it. <laughs> One of the things I hoped for the book was that it would be open enough that lay people could read it and maybe understand transgenders a little better. As I started to write these things down, I, I found things that I could change to make me more myself. I learned I made so many mistakes, and I was hoping as I wrote the book that someone else would be reading the book and would say, okay, well, he did, that was not right. He needed to do this differently and would learn from my mistakes. Uh, of course, they'll go and make their new mistakes all on their own, I'm sure, but I do look forward to maybe someday writing a sequel. I've already plotted out the title. This one was Becoming Kimberly. The title of the sequel will be Being Kimberly because that's who I am and that's who I'll be for the rest of my life. I'm still not sure how far I'm going to take this. It depends on time, resources, and money. At this point, it's really irrelevant for me. I'm happy with who I am now, and I don't know that I need to go any further to feel completed, and very happily so. Do you feel like Kimberly is happier now that she's Kimberly? Oh, heck yeah. Very much so. 
you know, when I, while I was growing up, I, I saw my dad suffering through those depression. I saw all those times where he just came home, fell into bed, I didn't want to do anything. He, she did, did less with us. You know, and I have trouble sometimes with the he and she things. I still struggle with that because she's not in my life every day. I think a lot about her in the past as he. And that's okay. Of course, she's happier now because she, she doesn't have to constantly pretend to be who she ain't. Kimberly, what does it feel like now waking up in the morning and starting your day? Uh, very good. I wake up and I'm me. I, I don't have to get up and put on someone else's clothes. And now when I look in the mirror at myself, I see me looking back. And that feels really, really good. It, you, you change throughout life as you mature and, and, and as you have different things happen to you throughout your life and you learn and you change and you develop as you grow. And I don't think any of us ever really stop growing. At least I hope not. Uh, I posted on Facebook here a few weeks ago, I said, I want to be the old woman that's in the nursing home where the staff comes in every morning and calls security. Y'all go find her. She's not in her room, and we don't know what the hell she's up to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my, my. It, uh, I want to be out and, and moving around and doing things and, and having fun and enjoying my life. You have a lot of life to live. Of course. For 40 years, you... I've got a lot to catch up on. <laughs> Thanks to Kimberly and Thomas for sitting down with me, and Amanda McCoy and Davin Coburn for producing Out Here in America. We'll be back in two weeks with more stories like this, but in the meantime, subscribe to Out Here in America on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows. Be sure to leave us a review, and we'll see y'all soon on Out Here in America.